but it's him that will bring the back now. So the thing is, Pastor Mike's away, and he doesn't know it, but we know where he is, because we sent our camera out and we found him, I think. Did we find Pastor Mike? Look at that. While we're here in church, worshipping God, he and the family are eating barbecue something in Ohio, and he's not worried about us, so we're not going to be worried about him, because he may be absent, but as we were singing before, the real person that matters is not absent this morning. God is with us. And as we come here and we sense the joy that God brings uh, out of Zion's mouth, salvation comes. And uh, we know that this morning because we've come as the redeemed of the Lord and those who are seeking after him. And he's here to bless us and to make his presence felt among us. For the next few weeks that I'm with you, I'd like to, on Sunday mornings, concentrate on the presence of God. Maybe I should go up here. I'll go up here. I sort of feel so remote up here, but um, I'll try and come down a bit. For the next few Sundays, uh, we're talking about the presence of God, and I want to illustrate that through an Old Testament story. When uh, the Israelite people were uh, saved out of uh, slavery in Egypt, God came to Moses, the leader, and he said, I want you to build a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. And... um, It's going to call the Ark of the Covenant a small box with great potential, about this wide, about that long, wide, and deep. And it's going to have three things put inside it, which we'll look at in the next few weeks. But the important thing is God said to Moses, put this box, this Ark of the Covenant, right in the central place of this tent of meeting, tabernacle, and I will meet you there. And I will talk to you there, and I will give you instructions there. So symbolically, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. Where that box was, the people would say, this is symbolic of God. It's not God, it's just a box. But this is where God wants to indicate his presence with us. So this morning, I want to look with you at four occasions when the people came across this presence of God and the different ways they responded. Because no longer is God in a box, God is resident with us who believe. We believe that when we came to Jesus and asked him for forgiveness of sins, he certainly saved us, but he gave us new life and that was sealed by the presence of his Holy Spirit in each one of us. So God is present and it's not so much where is God, It is really the the question to be asked today is how do we allow God to work in our lives? And so we'll see from these four examples how some people reacted. And it might be an indicator or a warning or a lesson for us of how we might follow God in these times. So let's look at the first reading. I think it's in Joshua chapter 3. There's going to be quite a lot of readings. um, But don't think because the reading is long and my talking will be long. I hope it won't be that long. Can we have Joshua chapter 3? Joshua goes to the people. They are camped beside the river, ready to cross over into the promised land. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow, listen to this, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to use the word elders instead of priests or leaders. And pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the leaders who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, the Sevenites there. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, a leader, that is. And as soon as they who carry the ark of the Lord... By the way, that's the Lord of all the earth. As soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead. Now the Jordan is at flood or during time, during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge... The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over, opposite Jericho. The priests, the leaders who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So the, the lesson there, the word to look at is, when you see the ark, follow. When you see God, follow. So here's what they did. They all had to cross over. There were none that were exempt. When you see the Lord, follow. And so he would come to us today, when I give you the path, follow. Even, or especially, when there's no clear path. I mean, this river's in flood. Now, it's not a raging flood, but it's a flood because of the season that it was. It would make it impossible to walk across. Maybe young men, to show off, would walk across or get across. But this is the people of Israel. There's little wee people and there's old people and there's all sorts in between and there's animals so you can't get across we don't see that there's a bridge being built and nobody's come back and found a boat that can take us across so somehow we're going to get across and God has promised tomorrow I will do amazing things you will cross this river and go into the promised land so now he tells us how the leaders will take the symbolic presence of God on their shoulders and march toward the river And here they go. And they're quite pleased to be up front. You all get to a position where you can see, not the leaders, but you can see the ark that they carry. Where you can see God because it's God you're going to follow. And they march and as they get closer to the water you can see that they're taking smaller steps. Because the water's there and we're not quite sure what's next. God, would you tell us? Would you tell me? What I'm to do? You say to me, follow me. But in my dark night of this issue that's facing me right now, I would like to know what it is you're going to do. Are you going to provide the money I need? Are you going to heal my body so I don't have to have the surgery? Are you going to help me restore the relationship in my family? I have a need. And God, I'm going to follow you, but would you tell me? But God doesn't do that. He says, follow me. 
And so we follow, and it's getting awfully close to the water. And the small steps, and the ones at front were probably saying back, slow down, you guys. There's nothing happening yet. Slow down. This is going to be embarrassing. This could be embarrassing. But instead, it's miraculous. Because as soon as their feet touch the water, as soon as they are committed to what is not a normal process, God opens the waters, holds them back, and lets them run away. And we read there, the people cross on dry ground. So the first lesson I see is when they saw the presence of God or realized him, they followed even when there was no path. Now the next thing is everyone had to go across. There's differing uh, stories about how many people there were. There's certainly 300,000 that's told of us. And if, is that just the men or is that everyone? Let's say it's the men and so most of them will have a wife and family. You could have a million people. That's a lot of people. And they've got all their stuff. So it's going to take a while. God, why don't you just sort of um, get the 12 leaders to go across and then let's build a bridge. We'll camp over here. It's a nice season. And uh, build a bridge and then we can all go across without the fuss. God, could you let the elders of the church handle my burden and, and I'll just come in church and put money in the offering? No, God doesn't do that. Every one of us has to cross. And if you've been in those sorts of situations, there's some people that annoy you. They annoy me. The ones that go first have gone across. And they get to the other side, and I don't know how long that would take. But there they are now. They're on the other side, like I am up here and you're over there. And I'm waving out, come on, it's easy, come on. You know, and I've got now my camera out and I'm videoing you and I'm doing a selfie of me and it's all there. And uh, we'll mouth it out, look at my Facebook page, see how easy it is. And it's all, it's, but I get there and when I get to the edge of the time and it's my turn to put my foot into the dry ground now, I know with my luck the water's going to come back. Just that's how it happens. I just never get to cross these things. Oh, yeah, it'll come and I'll be wiped out. Thanks a lot. I don't care how many people have been through the surgery that I've been through, I'm facing. They can stand on the other side and tell me, it's a breeze, you'll be fine. When I have to go through it, it's not so fine. When I have a situation of a broken relationship, when my job is lost, when my family isn't doing what I want, when things have crowded in on me and it's dark, they may say the water's held up, but I know that if I'm to keep following in this place, this is dangerous territory for me. God may not hear. I don't think God is listening sometimes. How will this affect me? It's real when it's my turn. And it's dark and cold even though the water for the moment is dry and I step in and I'm keeping my eye upstream in case because I have a feeling it's going to crash but I'm told no keep keep looking at God and I walk and I walk and suddenly you get to that point of no return I'm in the middle in the darkest part of the night when the dreams magnify the situation of it all there I am and I can't go back and it's too far forward, and I don't know what to do, then God says, just, whoa, 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 look around. And there, right in the middle of the river, were the leaders. And on their shoulders was the presence of God. And I learn once again that right in the middle, in the darkest spot, I'm not alone. God is there. 
He's with me at that point. He's assuring me that he's, as it were, carrying me now. And he's there and he's listening. He's not off doing business with other people. He's watching me. And they can wave from the other side as much as they like, but the only one I want to see is Jesus. The only one I want to know is his comfort and his presence. And God promises me that in the darkest point, I will find him. The old song says it all, really. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. That's my God. That's our God. This is the God who's present with us today in your situation. The summer may be hot, and it may be hot for the wrong reasons and things happening in your life, but God specializes in things thought impossible. These people learned, and they got to the other side, and then when it was, everybody was over, they took, the rock, they took a rock each, the leaders, out of the river and brought it back, and they set it up as a memorial. This is where God was with us. This is where the power of God was seen like we've never seen it before. This is where the presence of God revealed himself. God revealed his presence in a remarkable way. And friends, as you get older in life, you come across situations perhaps a few more times where it is impossible, humanly. And it is tempting to look to the ways in which we can plan our own uh, solution. But God says, no, look at me. I'm within you and I want to be released, my power to be released. I want out of your life to come glory to God as you submit and follow, even when there's no path, even when it's tough, and especially when we're in the middle of something difficult. Let's go on to the second one. And that's in First Samuel chapter 4. There's a long reading here and uh, we'll just go through it. This is uh, a whole lot later. Years have gone by now, and the Israelites are having some trouble with the Philistines. They keep coming and beating up on them. And they've got new leaders. Long has Moses and the others gone. And the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. And the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. The battle spread. Israel was defeated. The Philistines killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. That's a bad day. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel said, Why did the Lord bring, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today? And they thought about it. There's a gap there, I think. And then they said, Let's bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant down from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh. They brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, of God. And then we go on, do we? Yes. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. And hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this in the Hebrew camp? When they learned the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, they were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh, no. Nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods of Israel? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues back there in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. 
Be men, or you'll be subject to the Hebrews as they've been to you. Be men and fight. So they fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was great. Israel lost not 30,000 foot soldiers in one day. The ark of oops, the ark of God was captured. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That day, the Benjamin, Benjaminite ran from the battle and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his feet. And he arrived to find Eli, that's the priest, sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town set up a cry. Eli heard the cry and asked, what's the meaning of this? And the man rushed, hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and who was blind, basically. He could not see. He told Eli, I've come from the battle line. I fled from it today. What happened, my son? The man who brought the news said, Israel fled before the Philistines. The army has suffered heavy losses. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. The ark of God has been captured. And when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off, its chair, off his chair. His neck was broken. He died, for he was an old man, heavy. He led, he led Israel 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news the ark of God had been captured and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth but was overcome to death by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair, you've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention, except that she named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God, the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. What a terrible story. The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. So there we go. Um, Ichabod, the glory has departed. I have a friend, and when we were teenagers, he had more money than me, and he had not really enough money to get the car he should have bought, but he bought the one that he could afford, and we looked at it, his father looked at it, and he said, I name this car Ichabod, because the glory has certainly departed, and his wallet was soon emptied fixing this thing. But the glory of God has departed. So God has done a marvelous victory way back, and now today, when they brought this ark up, God has let them down. What went wrong? I think it's very simple, and without laboring it, if you go into it and look at it, when uh, the first story, when Moses came to the people, he said, the Lord God is going to win us the victory. Follow the Lord God, for it is him that will bring the victory. But on the second occasion, they forgot the Lord God, and they said, let's bring the ark, and it will help us. But it was only a wooden box. And so when they went in with that thing, there was no God in it. They did not... God was a symbol. The box was just a box. You could have got one from park and shop and taken it into battle. It would have been just as good. It was the symbolic understanding that God was with them that helped them the first time. And so their prayers were to God. It would seem their trust was put in a box and it failed. And I only say that because today we're prone in churches to know God. These were priests. Remember Eli and Hoff, his two sons? But we are too inclined to look for methods rather than, or, or imitate methods rather than follow a principle. It's easy to do that, isn't it? There's a church on the island, and it's got a youth program that started this like no other church program, and kids are pouring into that church program. So we send Doug over to have a look, 
and uh, see what they're doing so that we could copy that. And then our church could be full of teenagers, you know, with all these things. Or we hear of revival breaking out somewhere and we go and listen to this person. We hear of a great Bible study program, and I'm not against them, but we see a great Bible study program, an evangelistic program, and we say, let's get that and do it in our church because it could work for us. And we wonder why it doesn't. Now, if we come and say, God, are you leading us to use one of these programs or some of these resources? But God, we're trusting you. And if we do that, then there's more likelihood that we'll see the first outcome rather than the second that we've looked at. And so in your life and mine, see, uh, and I know I have a sickness and I've got the people praying for me, but I also go online and find everything I can that people say, I'm not saying these are wrong particularly, but I start to put my trust in some mixture of stuff that I swallow and it helps someone, so maybe it will help me. And I'm not saying, God, I'm trusting you and following you. And if you lead me by that path, I'll go. But you need to lead me rather than me go for it. So there's a horrible situation. And we'll come to the third one now because the ark of the Lord has been captured. And we'll go to the next chapter and we learn what they think. These are the enemies of God. We haven't done too well in this last chapter, us people of God. We've sort of forgotten it was God. But now... We go on to the chapter 5. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it to Ebenezer to Ashdod and they carried it into Dagon's temple and set it beside it, their god, Dagon. They sort of said, there's not something about this that we need to sort of follow. When the people of Ashdod rose up the next day, there was Dagon, their god, fallen on his face before the Ark of the Lord and they took him and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they got up, there was Dagon fallen on his face before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. This is not good, they said. And so they, to this day, they won't go anywhere near the threshold because that's where Dagon's image had fallen over. Now here's what happened. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people, the Philistines, and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When they saw what was happening, they said, this ark of the God of Israel must not stay here because his hand is heavy on us and Dagon our God. They knew, the enemies of God knew, this was God. They called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, what should we do with the ark? They said, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. I wonder why Gath. Maybe they were slow in paying their taxes or something, but they sent it down there. But the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted them with young and old with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent it down to Ekron, which is near the border of Israel. And as the God of, uh, Ark of God was entering, the people cried out, No, no, they brought the Ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and to our people. So they called together the rulers And he said, send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let's go back. Let it go back to where it belongs. Or it will kill us and our people for death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. So my point is this, that sometimes we're fearful of the enemies of God. But we should understand that from this scripture and others that they are often fearful of God. They recognize God negatively when we don't recognize him Positively, the presence of God was powerfully in a ne- powerful in a negative way to these people. So that's just watch that. Last one though. Let's come to this one because it's got a better ending. 
Uh, let's move on. I think, um, can we please scroll through and we'll get to the last one. I can read it. Uh, maybe I will. Because I actually uh, wanted... Let's go through a bit more. Actually, don't, don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll read the, the bit because it's just a few verses I wanted. They want to return the ark. And so what they did is, now then get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take the calves away and pen them up. And then take this... Uh, they did that. Farmers would do that. You have a... You have a um, a paddock full of cows that have had calves and they're munching away and getting on and the calves get separated from their mothers and then there's a bit of bedlam because, see, cows that have lost their calves will often go and sort of try and steal a calf. So you take the mother calves away and you pen them up with no grass for a half a day and then let them loose and they go and they will find their calf. There's no question. So this is what they're going to do. They're going to get two calves, so it can't be just coincidence, tie them together on a cart, put the Ark of the Covenant on this cart, and then they're going to let them loose. And their rationale is going to be, if there's nothing in this Ark, no special power, those two cows will both head towards the the field where the calves are and try to find their young. But if this is a special um, thing, this box, then those cows will be driven by the power within that box to go over the Israel border to where it belongs. And we'll know. And so they do it, and of course the thing heads for the border. And it says that the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. They looked up and saw the ark. They rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and chopped up the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And they worshipped the Lord. And so it had come home. And everybody's happy. This ark had come home. Now, what happens? Samuel gets them and he says to them, uh, Israel, oh, it says here, Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to them, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts and rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the foreign ways and serve him only, he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. That's different. They didn't say that back when uh, Eli's team was in operation. They said, it will help us. But now they're saying, Samuel says, no, return to the Lord. Repent and trust him. And then he goes on a little bit further. And even as they're worshipping, and Samuel has taken a calf and offering it as a sacrifice, a burnt offering to the Lord, it says the Philistines came up to attack. And that day the Lord thundered. And the Philistines were rejected and gave them trouble no more. And so the people went on and they worshipped the Lord right through their time. Here's the message I wanted to leave with you. The presence of God in us. But the presence of God in us must be released and recognised. Otherwise we will find ourselves like the Eli people, trying to do it in our own strength and doing it through methods and imitating other people's ways, not trusting God. Uh, we, if we return to the Lord and repent, and if we put him first, then God will come back and he will bless us. So Joshua 3, they were obedient leaders with obedient followers. 
and God's presence was revealed. May that be so. May that be the truth here. In 1 Samuel 4, the leaders had lost sight of God, and so they put the wrong focus on the followers, and his glory was gone. The glory departed. But then the worship in chapter 7 preceded, was preceded by repentance and sacrifice. So they didn't come in demanding of God. They came back and said, we have sinned, God help us. And so he came back to them and he led them forward. Translate that to our own life. And can we, when we come to the rivers that we have to cross, the dark times, can we put him first and can we trust him totally? Or do we look to other means? Can this be the start of a time when we look and we will see as we go on in the next three Sundays the various ways, three ways that God particularly wants us to uh, allow him to lead by his Holy Spirit in our life. Just one story. I'll just close with this. And it helped me at the time, and it was a a while back when I used to travel a lot internationally on flights. And uh, particularly I was in the West Coast, and uh, you would get onto a flight, say, let's get in on in Seattle, because that's where I would. And we were going over, the, over to, say, London, and it was nighttime, and it was a turbulent day. The plane takes off, and it wobbles a bit. You often wonder how those things get into the air, but they do, and people better than me can tell you how that happens. But it's dark. The people are going to sleep. The plane is rocking around. And on this particular airline at that time, I don't know if it's still true, you could, on the entertainment system, turn to Channel 9 and listen to the pilot. That's interesting. What do the pilots do up there? So you turn it on and you listen. And so you hear it first, and he gives the call sign of the plane, flight number 33, would you go up to 15,000 feet? Uh, This is Seattle Tower. So he acknowledges that, and you see this thing rising. And then he comes on and he says, "Um, uh, this is Seattle Tower, flight 33, would you transfer to this thing here and talk to Calgary? So on comes a, a, a Canadian man, and he says, this is Calgary, eh? And uh, he tells us what to do, and we go higher. And so that's interesting. Somebody's listening to us for the moment, and the plane is it's still a pretty wild ride, and there's no hint of it there. And then eventually the Calgary man puts us onto Winnipeg, and the Winnipeg man puts us onto Halifax. And in the meantime, my wife's asleep, and everyone else is asleep, but I'm, I'm onto this. Somebody's going to get us there. And uh, I'm thinking, now, what happens after Halifax? Because I know there's a lot of ocean. And so we come away, and then he says, you're going to go, next stop will be Greenland. Not next stop, but next man will be Greenland. But on the meantime, take this frequency, and you can um, get a, a, a word uh, from some other voice. Didn't understand that. But then my man said uh, up front, he said, um, what's it like up front? What are the conditions? Well, just a minute, we'll talk. And he says, Delta, come in and tell us you're ahead of him. What's it there? A bit of chop? And that turns out to be bad stuff. Uh, and then another one, and he so there's other planes, and they're all talking. And so this is a very exciting trip for me because I thought we were alone in the dark night, but there's somebody watching over us, different people. And then we go on a bit, and I might have drowsed. I don't think I did, but I, I might have because the next one, we, we, we had Glasgow. That's in Scotland. And his beautiful lilting voice came in and welcomed us, welcome from America. And that felt good, and now they're sort of getting breakfast ready, and then we passed us on down to London, and we flew around the palace, and we landed. Jill woke up and said, are we there yet? And I said, yeah, no thanks to you, we're here. But uh, we got there. Here's the point. If you're finding it difficult tonight, any night, any place, 
tune to channel 9 and you will find if you call out your call sign there's a God who doesn't slumber or sleep there's a God who watches over it the God who sees the turbulence in your life the God who's got it there and will assure you that, there, that he's been there before and it's okay and you can trust him would the presence of God be powerful in your life uh, this week would you understand that don't go elsewhere go to him and he will guide you and he will lead you. Would he be, as it were, the air that we breathe and the life that we live? Would the worship team come up and lead us in a song and I'll lead you in prayer as we get to the stage? Because I, I do want us to understand that God cares and God loves us and God is present. He didn't just want to come and send Jesus to save us from hell. He wanted to come and put the life of Jesus into us and let it be released. And it can be if we would trust him. Father God, thank you so much. For the joy of this uh, service today as we've sung and watched and listened and for the reality of your word where we can follow you and we can follow you without reservation even when the path is not clear, even when the waters seem to be deep, even when the night is dark. We can turn to you and in the middle of our distress and in the middle of the worst part, you can come to us and whisper peace and we would want to respond and say thank you Lord. May our lives be marked by that confidence in you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.